AgriTalk is brought to you by Full Scale from Helena. Grow Strong returns this season with breakthrough foliar nutrition from Full Scale at Reproduction. And by Propane. Propane is the energy for everyone, especially farmers. Environmentally friendly propane can fuel most anything on the farm. See how at propane.com. Okay, get this. From black vultures to beef imports from Paraguay, we are talking cattle issues. And then it will be time to meet the incoming CEO of the United Soybean Board. Will a new USB CEO mean a new vision? What's the long-term plan for the checkoff-funded soybean group? We've got the answers coming your way. Live from the eye-leaning tower of infotainment via Farm Journal broadcast, this is AgriTalk. This morning, we begin with a conversation with Ethan Lane from the National Cattlemen's Beef Association. Then it's Lucas Lynch and Megan Kaiser with an announcement from the United Soybean Board and directly following the news, Greg Henderson from Drovers. I'm handsome newsman Davis Michelson, and now, welcome the host of AgriTalk, Jeff Flory. Dude, it is already 41 degrees and the sun is shining in gorgeous northeast Iowa. Atta boy, sounds like you're off to a pretty good start today. You darn right. We're heading for the mid-50s. Mid-50s? Yeah, some spots in, number one, I'm going to predict another midge hash by this afternoon. Okay. Uh, okay. Oh, you're calling it a midge hatch now. <laughs> yeah. Well, of course I am. Of course okay. I am. You gave me you gave me all the information that I needed on that. I trust the news that I get Oof. from the handsome newsman, David. Well, thanks for that, Chip. Just enough rope to hang yourself with, I'd expect. That's right. That's, <laughs> that's right. Uh, and this afternoon, there are some spots in eastern Iowa that might be setting record highs. Excellent. That's yes. very exciting. For today. For for today, Pearl Harbor Day. Yes, uh, we remember uh, what happened on that great that that grim day mm-hmm. in 1942, and what it meant for not only the United States but for the rest of the world. And mm-hmm. uh, wow, uh, what a tumultuous time it was. Obviously, and, yep, uh, yep, yep, yep. So we just uh, need to remember what. What did and what can happen mm-hmm. uh, as we protect our freedoms here in this great country? All right. Uh, with that, we got a lot of ground to cover with Greg. So let's go ahead and get started yeah. with the news here. Sure thing. We'll start with the uh, National Weather Service weather. Excessive rainfall threat winding down across the Pacific Northwest for Good. now, they say. Cold, unsettled weather to shift into the Intermountain West and Plains through the weekend. Well above average and potentially record breaking warm. Uh, forecast across the central United States over the next few days, Chip. I think we're on our way there. Yeah, I think we definitely are on our way there. It may not be all-time December highs, record highs, but for this day, yeah. Yeah, 53 in KC right now and sunny. In October, the United States experienced a significant increase in both ag exports and imports. However, the rise in exports by more than 30% compared to September and more than 10% increase in imports, there was still a trade deficit yep. for the ag sector. Yeah, and that's not where we're used to playing with agricultural trade. It's become the norm. Mm-hmm. It has become the norm, but unfortunately, it, it it's not that long ago that that uh, we were contributing, or agriculture was contributing to the, the uh, surplus. 
Well, China imported 7.92 million metric tons of soybeans in November. Chip, that's up 53.5% from October and 7.8% above year ago, but lower than traders' expectations due to slower clearing of cargoes at customs. Traders expect soybean imports to jump sharply in December unless those unloading delays at ports worsen. China's meat imports inched upward from October, but were down sharply from year ago. USDA is reportedly responding to criticism from Republican lawmakers regarding their management of the Emergency Relief Program, or ERP, for 2022 losses. A USDA spokesperson explained that the main issue is a lack of funding from Congress. They stated that Congress allocated only $3.2 billion to cover losses, totaling over $10 billion. The funding gap forced USDA to make difficult choices to prioritize assistance for those in greatest need. Chip. Yeah, and there's there's talk that PARP or the Pandemic Assistance Relief Program um, that that uh, uh, requests for payment or help uh, outpaced the two point seven billion dollars allocated to the program by ten times. We're digging into it right now. Well, Chip, EPA's regulatory agenda, as released by the Biden administration, does not include any actions related to, to the renewable fuel standard. Despite having finalized RFS levels for 23, 24, and 25, which put the agency on track for the 2025 standards, there's no mention of any activities regarding proposed or final rules for the 2026 RFS standards. According to the rules, Chip, EPA should have finalized those 2026 RFS levels by October, uh, of 2024 some time yep. to go here but yep. uh jeez yeah they got they got to stay 2 years out in front of it now is is mm-hmm. is basically what it means and they put it in October so that it gets done by November <laughs> is 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 kind of the game plan here so they've got some time on 2026 but it's Good. something that we need to start digging into no question yep well, in May, Chip USDA plans to propose a rule addressing the labeling of cell-based meat products The goal is to establish unique terminology for these products, recognizing that their biological, chemical, nutritional, or organoleptic properties may differ significantly from conventionally produced meat and poultry, which is relevant to consumers. Conventionally produced meat, Chip, how do you like that term? Yeah, do you think that might be relevant to consumers? (laughs) We make that beef the old-fashioned way. Yeah, you can have this old-fashioned hamburger here, or a new and Uh improved lab-grown burger. (laughs) Well, finally, a new Wall Street Journal poll shows Nikki Haley has edged into second place behind Donald Trump in the Republican nomination race, fueled by her successful debate performances. Chip. All right. Thank you very much, Davis. Let's bring in <laughs> let's bring in Greg Henderson, editorial director at Drovers. The reason I'm laughing, Greg, is I don't think you want that new and improved lab-grown burger either, do you? No, absolutely <laughs> not. Um, uh, haven't tried it. Don't think I will. Don't think it'll be on the menu Christmas Day. No, I doubt it. I doubt it. Dude, there is a lot of stuff going on in the cattle market right now. Um, but let's let's get right down to the brass tacks. And part of that is the weights. What's going on? Yeah, we've reached a new record high and steer weights at 936 pounds, Chip. And heifer weights are Jeez. just one pound shy of their record at 854 pounds. So as the cattle cycle is unfolding, this market 
incentivizes uh, feed yards to put weight on in an attempt to make up for smaller harvest that uh, the, mm-hmm. the packers are going through. And this combination of better management, improved genetics, and, and market signals continue to push those weights higher over time. We'll likely see more records set in the next few weeks as, as those uh, weights go higher. But it's also a signal chip that feed yards are not as current as they were earlier in the year yeah. and that they've lost some of their bargaining position. And that's pretty evident by the declining cash prices of $10 over the last month. Yeah. Key here, Chip, is that the fundamentals supporting the cattle market have not changed. Cattle right. numbers are at 60-year lows, and we're going to see another 2 or 3% decline in the breeding herd when the January 1 cattle inventory is released. That's due to the slaughter that we've seen over the past three months. Gotcha. Gotcha. You know, the slaughter pace is slower in part because Packers slowed down the lines in some cases, right? Absolutely. They did because, uh, you know, they're losing money. Yeah. So, you know, um, not going to be a lot of people cry tears for Packers losing money. I understand. But that's the reality of it slows things down. Exactly. Exactly. No question about it. All right, Greg, good stuff, buddy. We're going to keep a close eye on those uh, those steer and heifer weights. Uh, that is Greg Henderson, Editorial Director at Drovers. Get more at www.drovers.com. We're going to talk with Ethan Lane from NCBA next here on Agritalk. What if your commercial beef herd could be better than you thought possible? Genetic testing can help give you more confidence about what your herd is made of, and more importantly, what it can be. Inherit Select from Zoetis provides data-driven genetic insights to help you make more informed selection, breeding, and culling decisions about your cows and heifers. The journey from genetic potential to reality begins with Inherit Select. Ask a genetics rep how to save on testing with our whole herd promotion. Go to beefgenetics.com forward slash radio. From powering irrigation engines to warming buildings, propane has always been a part of American farm life. Now, you can be a part of propane's future and save money at the same time. The Propane Farm Incentive Program is a research initiative that provides farmers up to $5,000 towards the purchase of new propane-powered equipment. In exchange, participants share performance data to make tomorrow's ag operations more cost-effective, more efficient, and more environmentally friendly with propane. Getting started is simple. Visit propane.com slash farm incentive to see if you're eligible. To produce higher yields and greater value at harvest, timing is everything. Full Scale from Helena helps soybeans reach their full potential with breakthrough foliar nutrition and reproduction. Full Scale delivers beneficial plant extracts and micronutrients with the added efficiency of ENC formulation technology. It gives your soybeans every opportunity to grow strong returns this season. Contact your local ag retailer or Helena representative to learn more about Full Scale. Always read and follow label instructions and check registration status before use. We don't make the news, we render it. Agritalk. Welcome back to Agritalk. I'm Chip Flory. Glad that you're with us on this Thursday Thursday morning already, Davis. How did that happen? Yeah, it's Thursday already. Thursday? Uh-huh. Wow. Yeah. Flying right along here. Okay, let's get to a conversation with Ethan Lane. Ethan is the VP of Government Affairs at the National Cattlemen's Beef Association. He joins us right now. Ethan, welcome back. How are you? You know, I'm great. Uh, maybe the most of which because after listening to your conversation about uh, cell-based lab-grown meat, I, I know I'm not going to be eating it for lunch, so uh, I'm going to be able to maintain my appetite. 
Uh, that's good. That's good. Let's, but let's let's find the good old fashioned burger for lunch, okay? <laughs> I, that's not a problem around here. <laughs> I'm sure it's not. I'm sure it's not. Um, Ethan, an issue that raised a lot of eyebrows uh, had left a lot of people scratching their head was when USDA decided that imports of beef from Paraguay are now acceptable. What are all the details here? Are we talking about chilled beef, frozen beef, beef product? What is it that USDA has cleared the path for? They, they have cleared the path for chilled beef imports oh. from, from Paraguay to the United States. The, the, there are a variety of problems with that. The, 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 the biggest one, though, is the on-site inspections from APHIS, USDA APHIS and USDA FSIS, occurred back in 2009 and 2014. That is the last time we've had USDA folks on the ground putting eyes on their facilities. And, and best I can tell, quite a bit has happened in the decade or so since those inspections occurred. Uh, you know, this feels a lot like the Brazilian situation where yeah. kind of having this tail chasing conversation with uh, Secretary Vilsack, uh, where, you know, they spend half the day talking about how they're, you know, pouring out their heart and soul for small producers. And man, we're going to we're going to save the small producer and the small family farmer in this country. And then we keep seeing the industry used as trade bait in these in these international engagements where it's absolutely not in the best interest of cattle producers in the U.S. Uh, to allow these questionable imports into the country. We, we just can't do it where we have science to show that it's not a good fit. Okay, questionable imports. Why questionable? Well, when you have a history of FMD, when you have I, I, you know, in-country diagnostic capabilities that are lacking, that's certainly what we saw with Brazil, where they can't get a, you know, a, a BSE test turned around in less than 30 days. Paraguay has similar challenges in their, in their supply chain. Um, you know, they, they don't have a good history of managing these things. And quite frankly, USDA can't tell us that it's safe because they haven't been there in 10 years. Yeah. I mean, if, if they had just come back and said, look, we've gone through an extensive set of reviews, we've looked at their systems, we feel confident that they're in a good spot, we would still have concerns, but at least we would feel like they'd done their due diligence. This feels like they didn't even meet that minimum standard before waving their wand over it. And, and that for us is why it's a problem. Okay. And FMD, foot and mouth disease, can it be transmitted? On the chilled beef. So, no, I, I, it can't, it, you know, our, our folks look at it when it comes through on the other side. Obviously, there's a there's mm -hmm. a, a level of inspection before it comes into the country. Um, you know, FMD infected cattle uh, produce a beef product that is safe to eat. And that's something we want to make sure we're clear with consumers about. This isn't a threat to consumers. What we're worried about is always the threat to the herd. Uh, sure. that, that could come from something like that. And, and you know, whether it's FMD or something else, it's it's the lack of that kind of central competent authority in their country to, to manage any of these occurrences. You know, we're watching FMD, we're watching lumpy skin disease take hold in, in Indonesia and places like that around yeah. the world. You know, obviously, you know, our, our, our other proteins and the pork and poultry side are, are, are battling those those issues both in the country and right up outside the gates as well. And, and you know, we, we just can't take these things for granted yeah. uh, how, when we're looking at new entrants into the marketplace. How is this going to be resolved? Is uh, Are imports happening now or is there still a chance that these could be stopped? Um, I don't believe anything has been imported yet. Uh, you know, we're continuing to, to, to pressure the administration. Uh, 21 members of Congress led by Tracy Mann from Kansas uh, and Jim Costa from California sent a letter to the secretary last week 
uh, asking them him to rethink this. Senators Rounds and Tester introduced a, a, le a legislation yesterday uh, that we support along with U.S. Cattlemen and RCAP, which only happens about once every 10 years or so. Um, but on <laughs> these issues, uh, yeah. there's not a cattle producer in the country that sees this differently. This is this right. is a no-brainer. Right. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. Let's talk about black vultures. And I'll admit, I hadn't it, – it, it was probably – four, maybe five years ago that I first began to fully understand just how much of a problem black vultures are in the South. And it was because of a story that Chris Bennett, a, a writer for Farm Journal, uh, did. And and what a nasty animal these black vultures are. And the problem is they're still federally protected, Right. They are. And, and this is where it kind of gets murky, right? It, it feels like an Endangered Species Act thing, but it's not. It's the it's the uh, um, the Migratory Bird Treaty Act, which is a treaty uh, that we have with other countries about protecting flyways for migratory birds. The yeah. thing about some of these migratory birds is that includes vultures, of which there are more than five million, I believe, in the U.S. at this point, and things like ravens, which uh, any cattle producer around the country that deals with them knows there is no shortage of. Right. Um, so we have these controls in place on animals that are on birds that are, are are exploding in population. Their range is extending. They're incredibly deadly during calving season. The video of this stuff is is you know kind of like for mature audiences only type content. I mean it's it's really gruesome stuff. And and you know whenever we get uh, members of Congress or or folks out to actually see the impact, they immediately become advocates to change this this dynamic because it, it is a real problem for producers that are dealing with these animals. Okay. Um, you're, you're talking about birds of opportunity yes. and, and the opportunity on a, on a calf is no greater than the moment it hits the ground. And, or, or as it's, as they're, as it's coming out, that's a lot of what yes. we see. Yeah. As, as it is being born. Exactly. Um, so what is the solution? So the solution is that livestock producers need to have more ability to to take these animals. And that's that's the technical term, right, for for managing that population when they have a challenge. And, and you know, we've kind of seen a little bit of a patchwork where there have been some depredation permits issued in some areas. Farm Bureau has done some good work yeah. locally on this in some areas of the country. And the, the idea is to get that number up. Right. You know, what Fish and Wildlife will tell us is, gosh, you know, a producer can kill three of these. If they right. need to, the problem is if you've got 200 in your field, that's not really helpful, right? You, you need to right. be able to take enough of them to manage that population that has, you know, decided to, to, to descend on your particular operation yeah. when you need to. And, and, you know, this can be done without an impact to the population. Obviously, when you have millions of them, um, we're, we're not talking about a threatened species here. Right. Um, what we're talking about is, is threatened herds and threatened producers when they're not able to take obvious common sense management steps when they've got an overpopulation on their on their ranch got to get that take number increased so that they can be yeah. do some meaningful population uh, management there no question what are you hearing coming out of cop 28 regarding uh, animal ag well you know obviously the big topic of concern has been whether or not there would be some sort of a broad declaration that you know you you can't save the planet if you if you keep eating meat which we know isn't true um, uh, Mary Thomas Hart, our chief counsel and our lead on environmental issues, is there on the ground at COP now. She's presenting on one of the panels and going to be in the room for the discussions. Um, you know, we've seen kind of a, a couple different 
uh, uh, flavors from from FAO, from the Food and Ag Organization at the UN, um, just a few months ago, they endorsed GWP Star, which is the the metric for managing for for measuring methane emissions from livestock. That that is a more accurate re- measurement, right? It, it it accounts for the fact that methane dissipates much quicker in the atmosphere right. than other types of greenhouse gases. That's a good thing, but they're still getting this pressure from other parts of the international community. Um, to say that you know that the meat and beef are the are the bad guys here to villainize us. You know, it's not lost on me that it's this this meeting is taking place in the Middle East and being sponsored by um, you know large oil interests in, right. in the Middle East. And, and you know, the takeaway is well, it's definitely not that. Let's focus on let's focus on the two percent of greenhouse gas emissions right. uh, that you know that beef provides. Um, we're hopeful that that dialogue will result in them uh, reevaluating that and, and getting a better understanding of. Um, how we're a, a, a benefit in that arena rather than a than an impact. But you know, when you get into these international uh, dialogues, the the yep. NGOs, the, the the big environmental organizations that are multinational now have so much sway on the conversation. Yep. Um, other parts of the world, producers have given up. Um, yeah. You know, you see those riots in the street and those protests in the street in places like France and and, and the Netherlands. Um, you know, producers here are are on the offensive and telling our story and 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 yep. you know talking about the science. Other parts of the world, that's not the dynamic. Right, right. Okay, we're almost out of time, but I got to ask you: you've got the NCBA end of year policy update tonight, right? That is correct. That is correct. Tonight, we're going to be okay. kind of revisiting the year. We're going to be talking about all of the crazy dynamics we've seen on Capitol Hill, give people a little more of a deep dive into who the players have been and, and what those fault lines are looking like and what it means for things like the Farm Bill, uh, for Agapropes and all those issues that we're watching right now on Capitol Hill. Okay. Can still get signed up for that? Um, I believe so. Um, okay. Uh, you should be getting emails if you're a member or on policy.ncba.org. Perfect. Ethan, thank you so much, buddy. I appreciate your time. You bet. Great talking to you. You bet. Ethan Lane from NCBA. Time for Markets Now with the experts from ProFarmer. Joining us now, ProFarmer editor Brian Grady. Beach, we've got some strength in the bean market. Is it tied to that? Uh, finally, might be tied to the export sales announcement from this morning, 121000 to unknown. Yeah, uh, that's that's part of it, Chip. I think, and, and another good uh, weekly number. So, um, okay. still playing catch up on the export side of things, but uh, at least we have some positive news to talk about. And, and on a weekly basis, we've been running above a million tons uh, for a while now. So, um, you know, this is the prime time for export sales and, and uh, shipments of U.S. soybeans. So, uh, we need to make some hay here and and uh, give them a little bit of corrective strength in in the uh, futures because of that uh, export demand. Well, big rally in bean oil isn't hurting the bean market either, is it? Not at all, and, and uh, you know the uh, not not a good number for uh, the the soy oil uh, net reductions, yeah. net sales reductions this morning. So, um, but yet we are seeing those gains uh, upwards of 150 points in the front yeah. end of that market. All right, so that's helping corn out to steady to two cents higher there. What about what's going on in wheat, real quick? Well, wheat, uh, you know, we faced pressure early, but uh, now starting to rebound and, and showing okay. a little bit of a firmer tone here at mid-morning. All right. Livestock trade, higher trade in the live cattle complex. 
Yeah, so we'll see. Uh, feeders are leading us with uh, strong gains there. We'll see if we can maintain those into the, the close. Uh, it's just been a grind here recently, and, and bears have held the upper hand. So nothing more than, than corrective buying at this point in time. Same's going on in live cattle, just to a, a lesser degree, uh, moderate gains there versus the sharp gains in feeders. And then the hog market. Uh, December contract's about steady, um, but, boy, the deferred contracts are under heavy pressure here at mid-morning. Good stuff, Brian. We got a big report coming tomorrow for the grains. We'll get more of that. Uh, Brian Grady, Pro Farmer Editor. What if your commercial beef herd could be better than you thought possible? Genetic testing can help give you more confidence about what your herd is made of, and more importantly, what it can be. Inherit Select from Zoetis provides data-driven genetic insights to help you make more informed selection, breeding, and culling decisions about your cows and heifers. The journey from genetic potential to reality begins with Inherit Select. Ask a genetics rep how to save on testing with our whole herd promotion. Go to beefgenetics.com forward slash radio. From powering irrigation engines to warming buildings, propane has always been a part of American farm life. Now, you can be a part of propane's future and save money at the same time. The Propane Farm Incentive Program is a research initiative that provides farmers up to $5,000 towards the purchase of new propane-powered equipment. In exchange, participants share performance data to make tomorrow's ag operations more cost-effective, more efficient, and more environmentally friendly with propane. Getting started is simple. Visit propane.com slash farm incentive to see if you're eligible. To produce higher yields and greater value at harvest, timing is everything. Full Scale from Helena helps soybeans reach their full potential with breakthrough foliar nutrition and reproduction. Full Scale delivers beneficial plant extracts and micronutrients with the added efficiency of ENC formulation technology. It gives your soybeans every opportunity to grow strong returns this season. Contact your local ag retailer or Helena representative to learn more about Full Scale. Always read and follow label instructions and check registration status before use. Opinions expressed on AgriTalk do not necessarily reflect the views of Farm Journal Broadcasting, affiliate stations, or sponsors. The best talkers in ag, including you. Join the conversation on AgriTalk. Call us at 855-4-TALK-AG. Welcome back to AgriTalk. I'm Chip. Glad that you are with us. Uh, interesting conversation on a few issues there with Ethan Lane. Again, they've got the uh, NCBA end-of-year policy update coming tonight. So check that out if you want to be part of it. Um, the United Soybean Board has been working and looking for a new uh, CEO. And the uh, the choice has been made. And we are very happy to have the first conversation with uh, the new CEO. Or I should still say the incoming CEO of the United Soybean Board. It is Lucas Lynch. Lucas, welcome to AgriTalk. How are you? Yep, great. Uh, doing well. Uh, the day after the board made the big decision yesterday, I, I couldn't be more thrilled and just excited to get to work on behalf of America Soybean Growers. Fantastic. Fantastic. We're going to talk about that. Megan Kaiser, USB Immediate Past Chair and CEO of and and chair of the CEO Selection Committee, is also with us. Hi, Megan. Welcome to AgriTalk. Hi, Chip. Thanks for having us on. You bet. Glad you're here. Glad you're here. Okay, Lucas, so th this process has been going on for a while, but it's it, it it's a two-way street. 
yeah. USB's got to be attracted to you. You've got to be attracted to USB. What drew you to the United Soybean Board? You know, the <laughs> the farmers at the core of, of, of everything that has got my interest is the fact that the farmers are, are who I get to work for. In the last eight years, a tip of the hat to America's dairy farmers. I've, I've been in working for them and, and dairy checkoff. Right. Uh, but as I look to the future, um, I just knew that if I'm going to continue to be working for farmers, I wanted to focus in on animal agriculture. I wanted to focus in human nutrition and wellness, but I also wanted to, uh, and it's been a kind of a big uh, passion point for me. I wanted to be working in a space that brings energy independence uh, and, you know, the drop-in value of, of what soy diesel is. That's huge. And the innovations of, of future technologies has got me pretty, pretty dialed in here, Chip. I'm, it's going to be a, it's going to be a lot of work, but I'm, I'm excited to get to it. I'm telling you right now, Lucas, there are soybean growers all over the country whose ears perked up when you said that you are interested in that pursuit of energy independence and the role that uh, that that products like biodiesel and renewable diesel can play in that. D dig a little deeper into it. What what what's what's got you focused on that? You know, I'm going to take it back um, to the early 2000s. I had a chance to Good. be a, a captain and a commander uh, with the National Guard serving over in Iraq. I saw the oil fields, um, and I know what it felt like uh, to see oil rigs or on fire or or oil in the ditches, and and just the waste of of, of uh, natural resources. It made me have a a, uh, a passion for understanding when I come back to the United States, the fact that uh, a soybean row can bring energy. Uh, you know, the sustainable soy solutions isn't just a catchphrase. It's a way of life. It's a way of thinking these farmers have dialed in. And when we think about um, the, the, the role that soy can play in, in sustainability uh, for our planet uh, and for ourselves as humans, uh, it's, it's a great combination. And I couldn't be more proud. The veteran in me is, is thrilled to be working in a space that also brings, you know, high volume energy independence to life. Lucas, you're continuing a trend that we have noticed more and more frequently, and that is uh, veterans of active military service in the Middle East being involved in the biofuels industry and and having a real passion for it. And and you're bringing some, uh, oh boy, just experience that not many of us can bring to the table when it comes to that. So good on you, man. Well, Chip, you know, think about it a little bit deeper. I mean, yeah, our farmers, just like soldiers put on a uniform, farmers do it every day when they, when, as they plan their next year. As you're looking at 2024 and you're making decisions, you're not only making decisions for your farm, but you're you're laying the groundwork for our, our energy independence. How are we feeding a growing global population? And, and uh, to me, that is our national security in a nutshell. And I, I again, the half a million growers out there, they're not just soybean producers; they're also corn growers they might be involved in animal agriculture it's all connected yeah yeah fantastic okay Megan that's one side of the equation there let's talk about the other side of the equation and why do you think that Lucas is the best CEO for the for the job there at the United Soybean Board well Chip when we started on this venture it was really important to us to make sure that we were capturing the vision of not not only um, our executive committee, but our entire board of 77 farmer leaders. In addition to, our, we have a full-time staff of very talented people. And we asked everybody, what are the characteristics that you want in our, our next leader? 
And um, I think just in talking with Lucas here, you can hear how many boxes he checks with his passion, yeah. with his knowledge, um, his deep, deep roots in agriculture and and checkoff organizations, um, which are unique. Um, and and really, I think um, as Lucas has been introduced to the entire board and and just in the last 24 hours of spending time uh, with everyone, um, the board is so excited as we build upon um, the great work that Polly Ruland has done for us over these past uh, six years. Uh, but we have so many opportunities from bio-based products to um, renewable diesel, sustainable aviation fuel. And as Lucas mentioned, our number one customer of, of animal agriculture, um, just the fact that uh, Lucas is coming in very excited and and really ready, ready to light the world on fire. We're just <laughs> thrilled um, that he uh, he is putting farmer leaders and our vision first and right. is committed to keeping this a farmer driven organization and executing on on that vision uh, efficiently and and helping us yeah. move forward. Yeah. Yeah, that's beautiful, Megan, and and good work on getting consensus from seventy-seven farmers on the board. <laughs> that that can't be an easy task on any question. I'm feeling much more relaxed today than I was <laughs> yesterday, but it really was overwhelming support. And so uh, I woke up very happy this morning and feeling uh, just thrilled because the excitement. Um, or the vibe, as the kids say, you know, uh, on the board right now is just phenomenal. Good, good, good. Yeah, Lucas, let's talk a little bit more about your ag background because farmers want to know that that those representing them have got some experience in some dirty boots. And you grew up on a family farm, didn't you? Yeah, you know, I, I really uh, blessed with a unique story. Um, yeah. Originally uh, born in Waterloo, Iowa, my dad. Uh, grew up in South Dakota on a farm, uh, but that farm had hit some tough times in the 1960s, like a lot of farms did. And so he had a 20-year career uh, as a skilled tradesman at John Deere. But in the early 80s, uh, took a modest savings and and made a dream come to life uh, when my mother and he uh, relocated back to South Dakota, bought a farm, and my four brother or my my three brothers and I, there's four of us, started a first-generation dairy farm. And yeah. so my junior high and high school years were spent uh, really. <laughs> Uh, learning exactly what it means to start a first-generation operation up. And it was all hands on deck. And that gave me a, an early start. And that early start was a passion for agriculture. Uh, my dad always talking about, if you take care of the land, the land will take care of you. And every decision we make is about uh, making sure there's an opportunity for the next generation. Uh, he believed that. And that that became part of my DNA. And, and it led me off to South Dakota State to learn agriculture uh, and and frankly, I, I just haven't turned back. Uh, the 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 privilege to be a voice and an advocate or a, a leader on behalf of farming and, and ranching generally is a, is is excellent. Um, but the fact is, is American agriculture is a global powerhouse, and we don't need to apologize for that. We we have so many opportunities that bring um, that not just independence to our country, but our influence. And I, think about it right now. And this geopolitical space that we're in globally, um, access to food, access to energy, those are the things that we do exceptionally well and frankly better than anywhere else in the world. And the fact that we can do it sustainably, um, that's that's our marching orders. And we're going we're gonna to continue to do great things for America and for the world. Yeah, Lucas, one of those voices that you had for a period of time was 
if I'm not mistaken, it was uh, Secretary of Ag there in the state of South Dakota, wasn't it? Yeah, you know, uh, that's what I thought. Yeah, uh, yeah. You go back uh, 2013 to 2016. It's just a real yeah. privilege. Yeah, under uh, Governor Dennis Dugard, he had asked me uh, to do that job, and you know, uh, probably the best way I could describe it, and, and I, I shared this thought with the with the farmers during my interview. Um, the day that uh, the governor asked me to be Secretary of Ag, I, I called my dad and I said, "Hey, Governor wants me to do this," and my dad's response was. I don't know anything about politics, son, but if you ever have to start fibbing, it's time to come home. And I <laughs> I think that advice has stuck with me soundly ever since. And frankly, Good. we could all uh, we could all learn and appreciate that. That is fantastic. Megan, you when you look at that list of experience that Lucas is bringing to this role, you, I understand why you're excited. Yeah. Well, you know, and he's worked in throughout the value chain from farm to food processing had he's led big staffs. Um, he's a, a real servant leader, uh, a visionary, but also a listener. I mean, it, it really has checked all of the boxes that we're looking for, and we're thrilled to to move forward and and put him to work. Yeah, yeah, very cool, uh, Lucas. I'm also glad to know that uh, that you are originally from Tractor Town, USA, and <laughs> uh, you know that's just eight miles down the road from me and, and yeah. the bunker. So. <laughs> great memories, uh, great memories, and uh, real proud of my dad for his career. All right, all right, we are having a conversation and getting to know the incoming CEO of the United Soybean Board, Lucas Lynch, uh, Megan Kaiser, who was in charge of the CEO selection committee, is also with us. What, what is Lucas's vision for USB going forward? We've heard some of the energy side of it. What else is in that vision for Lucas? We'll find out next here on AgriTalk. What if your commercial beef herd could be better than you thought possible? Genetic testing can help give you more confidence about what your herd is made of, and more importantly, what it can be. Inherit Select from Zoetis provides data-driven genetic insights to help you make more informed selection, breeding, and culling decisions about your cows and heifers. The journey from genetic potential to reality begins with Inherit Select. Ask a genetics rep how to save on testing with our whole herd promotion. Go to beefgenetics.com forward slash radio. To produce higher yields and greater value at harvest, timing is everything. Full Scale from Helena helps soybeans reach their full potential with breakthrough foliar nutrition and reproduction. Full Scale delivers beneficial plant extracts and micronutrients with the added efficiency of ENC formulation technology. It gives your soybeans every opportunity to grow strong returns this season. Contact your local ag retailer or Helena representative to learn more about Full Scale. Always read and follow label instructions and check registration status before use. From powering irrigation engines to warming buildings, propane has always been a part of American farm life. Now, you can be a part of propane's future and save money at the same time. The Propane Farm Incentive Program is a research initiative that provides farmers up to $5,000 towards the purchase of new propane-powered equipment. In exchange, participants share performance data to make tomorrow's ag operations more cost-effective, more efficient, and more environmentally friendly with propane. Getting started is simple. Visit propane.com slash farm incentive to see if you're eligible. Hey. Oh. The truth is hard to come by these days unless you listen to AgriTalk. All right. Welcome back to AgriTalk. We are in the middle of a conversation 
with the incoming CEO of the United Soybean Board, Lucas Lynch, and uh, Megan Kaiser, who was in charge of the selection committee, is also with us. Uh, Megan, a couple of questions came in during the break there. They want to know what the process was. How did you find Lucas? Well, it was pretty rigorous. We launched our search committee, our, our, our search in uh, from our July board meeting. We surveyed the full board and our staff. Uh, we then had a uh, at-large committee of seven board members um, that did the first portion of what we'd call the search portion. And they met every other week with our search firm, which was Kincan and Reed, and uh, reviewed uh, a lot of applicants. We had more than 140 people raise their hand to be considered. Uh, oh, wow. From that, they put, yeah, it was incredible. From that, they uh, the search um, committee then interviewed via Zoom uh, our semifinalist candidates, and then they put forward three names to the executive committee who then had an in-person interview. Um, and um, Lucas was uh, just the the front runner, the, the shining example um, all the way through. And so, um, it was a pretty rigorous, long um, interview process for it, all of the people that applied. It was it was really in depth, um, but we are just thrilled at the results, and and the board is really excited. Yeah, Be- before I I talked to Lucas about his vision for USB going forward, I, Megan, I'm sure that there are some some priorities that you hope that Lucas will. <laughs> will uh, pursue in his tenure there as CEO. What are some of the priorities for the USB board? Well, the number one priority is the entire point of the checkoff is that farmers can collaborate and come together and invest in areas that make sense for farmers. So farmer-led, farmer-driven. And so our number one priority is a CEO that helps to execute that vision uh, the most efficient and and um, professional way. Um, we have a world-class staff at the United Soybean Board. And so it was incredibly important to us that we not only selected a leader that was great at communicating with farmers, but also a leader that um, can cultivate staff and help them grow in, into their full potential. And also, you know, we wanted the CEO to be someone that everybody wants to go go into the office and work for sure. every day. Sure. And so, um, you know, we, we were kind of thinking about it in a lot of different ways. But, um, yeah, we needed somebody that would be a great, great advisor to the farmers um, and a great leader for our staff. Outstanding. Outstanding. Lucas, what do you say? Uh, do those priorities kind of fit with your vision? They sure do. Um, and, you know, as you listen to Megan I mean, that's part of the the why for me uh, behind stepping up to this role. You know, you think about it, uh, this farmer-led and farmer-driven, that's not by accident. And uh, when I sit back and think about a vision for checkoff, the first thing that I think about is listening to our farmer leaders. Um, you know, I, I may be named this incoming CEO, Chip, but at the end of the day, it's not about me. I'm just a steward of their office. This is about farmer leaders and the United Soybean Board leading for the domestic and international markets of what they grow and produce on their farms. And so when I think about that, I, I got to spend a little time really digging in to being an active listener to to the vision of what the farmers see in the future, and then really translating that to engaging with my staff, the staff that I get to show up with every day, um, get to know them, 
uh, and understand the talent that uh, we have in this organization. You know, too many organizations and checkoffs knew different, um, you know, uh, nothing more common than untapped talent. And I want to make sure I understand who we have and what more we can be doing to, to maximize our value for each other. Yeah. Yeah. And of course, the overall mission of, de uh, of developing markets, that's got to be part of the the overriding vision that you've got for USB, right? Yeah, well, in following population to market, it's it's essential, yeah. especially when hey, there's there's a lot of uh, competition out there trying to grow soybeans better and 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 more of them than we are here in the United States. And you know, so long as there's competition in the marketplace, we we've, we've got to be showing up doing it better uh, and more efficiently than anyone else. Staying out in front of it. That's why our infrastructure investments. Uh, in the Mississippi River are so vital to making sure we can get our commodities out the door and, and into uh, the countries that have the, the need. You know, it's, it's, the, it's the reason why animal agriculture is a huge benefit of our soybean meal, but making sure that that meal is also accessible on a global stage. Um, you know, and it's, it's that combination of animal agriculture, innovation, and energy that, that I think is going to keep us fired up uh, for this role uh, on behalf of the United Soybean Growers. Yeah, in my previous life as editor at Pro Farmer, when I was out doing Outlook seminars all the time, we'd get to the end of the Outlook, and I'd already gone through corn and soybeans and wheat, and it'd get to cattle and, and hogs, and guys would start to get up and leave, and I'd scold them, Lucas, because yeah. I'd say, you guys are walking out on your biggest customer, and you don't want to know the Outlook for their markets. Um, huh. I love the fact that you are focused on the domestic market and animal agriculture and and how soybean growers and and livestock producers dairy producers can work together and and, and chip it's not by accident because i mean I mean, you, you referenced the the work in the department of agriculture the the one thing and the theme that i saw consistently when serving in that role was diversified agriculture in our communities meant a thriving and um, vital community that that rose up to support agriculture, and so it's not just about raising a crop; it's it's how it's all connected. And animal the <laughs> the animal agriculture um, uh, relationship with the feedstuffs that were, were, are being grown, it's incredibly important. We know our number one customer is poultry, uh, so livestock, poultry, uh, aquaculture—it's all in the mix. Yes, yes. I got a feeling that the folks there at USB are very excited with uh, with your willingness to come on board there, Lucas. Congratulations. Uh, you start the new job just after the first of the year, right? Yeah, January 1st. Here we go. Fantastic. Good luck to you, sir, and I look forward to many more conversations. All right, Megan, thank you as well. We appreciate your time this morning. Uh, that is Megan Kaiser, CEO of the Selection Committee, the chair of the CEO Selection Committee and incoming CEO at the United Soybean Board, Lucas Ledge. Thanks for listening this morning. Come back this afternoon. We've got Alan Brugler from Brugler Marketing. And tomorrow morning, it's a free-for-all. Wiesmeyer, Haney, Michelson, and me.